This evening's reading is from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 14 to 25, and can be found on page 1127 of the Church Bibles. God's mercy and Israel's unfaithfulness. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert, and the streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the desert and the streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings nor honoured me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with the demand for incense. You have not brought any fragrant calmest for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sin, and wearied me with your offences. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those words written so long ago. And it's amazing, Lord, that those words, well over 2,000 and a half years ago, still can speak to us, can still inspire us, challenge us. We pray tonight that your Holy Spirit will take the words that Martin's read and the words that you've given me and speak them into our hearts to better equip us to serve you and follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Martin said, tonight we're
continuing this zoom through the book of the prophet Isaiah. And it is a bit of a zoom through, um, but it's well worth spending the time that we're managing to fit in. The title for this evening's talk, as you'll see on the grapevine, is A New Thing for God's People. It's not the heading that's actually in the NIV. It's the heading that Mike gave me because Mike was originally down to speak tonight and we swapped with last week. You know, I'm really being blessed by what we're seeing and learning from these words written so long ago. And I trust that you are as well. Now, the book of Isaiah can be divided into two sections. The first section comprising chapters 1 to 39, which in uh, the start of my Bible, uh, I've got a sort of outline of the book. And that first 39 chapters is headed, The Book of Judgment. Ian did an excellent job a couple of weeks ago completing that first part. The second part, chapters 40 to 66, can be entitled The Book of Comfort. Mike kicked off this second section last week, speaking about the hope for the future of both Israel then and the church today. And as I say, in my copy of the NIV Bible, there's a preface to the book of Isaiah. And this second part, the book of comfort, it divides into three sections, which we might see on the screen. Yes, hooray, thank you, Sue. Part one, the deliverance and restoration of Israel. These are from the NIV translators, so you can take them or leave them, but they are useful. The deliverance and restoration of Israel. Part two, the servant's ministry and Israel's restoration. And then part three, up to the end, everlasting deliverance and everlasting judgment. We must never forget that there is deliverance and there is judgment. Now, I'm not sure which of the preaching team divided the book up to, up into the chunks that we're using to preach. As I say, Mike last week had one chapter. Tonight I've got for eight. But we're not going to do all eight. I was actually given that passage that Martin read and that's what we're going to look at. But it completes this first section, the deliverance and restoration of Israel, even though it comes in the middle of the section. And this part of chapter 43 that Martin read, it speaks to God's people, both about former things and new things. And it forms a key part of that first of the three sections. So we're going to look at that together. We begin with verse 14, where the Lord is reminding the people of exactly who he is. <clears throat> Excuse me. You'll no doubt remember that we did a series last year looking at the names of God, such as Yahweh Rophe, the Lord my healer, Yahweh Rohai, the Lord my shepherd, 
And as we heard from Sarah this evening, and I don't think she knew I was going to say this, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And thank you for singing that before the service, Sarah. And so on. There are a lot of names of God in the Bible. And the first thing we see is that it is the Lord, Yahweh speaking. Last week, last week, Mike mentioned this wonderful devotional translation of the book of Isaiah by Alec Matir. It's a translation, but it's a devotional one because it's split into daily sections, and at the end of each section, there is a thought for the day. I think I've got about 12 days left. I started at the start of the year. I've been really blessed by it. And if anybody would like to borrow it, you ain't going to get it till after Easter. But if you would like to borrow it, please let me know, and I'd gladly lend it. It's a really good translation. Many, many footnotes, except that they're in the side on the side of the page, so they're footnotes down there. But it's a good translation. And the um, meditations, the thoughts for the day, are really inspiring. I do recommend it. Worth buying your own, really, but you can borrow mine. In this book, Alec explains quite a bit about the names of God, and I found that very helpful. And I found a very interesting point that he makes. He says that in Isaiah, and actually throughout the Old Testament, the God of Israel has one name, and two or three nouns. And what he says is, if we were to ask God, what are you? He'd reply with the name, with the noun, I'm God. If we were to ask him, who are you? He would reply with the name Yahweh. And that's why Yahweh comes before all those other names, Jehovah Jireh, Rophe, and so on. I thought it was lovely. I am Yahweh. And that's what the Lord is speaking here. I am your God. Then we see, if we can go on a little bit. No, sorry, back there, back there. Back again. Yes, 14. Okay, this is what the Lord says. He says, I'm your redeemer. I'm the kinsman protector. I'm the one who can buy back members of the family who are in debt or enslaved. Who are enslaved by sin. And he bought us back, our Redeemer, so that we could be reconciled with our God. Next we see in verse 14 that he's the Holy One. Holy. He's the one who is completely different, set apart. And that is why it was necessary for Jesus to come. Because every one of us, without fail, fails. Every one of us. Except Jesus. And Jesus, as we've sung, paid the price, our Redeemer, to bring us back into the family of God, who is the Holy One, 
completely different, set apart. He's also, down in verse 15, your creator. He's Israel's creator, but he's ours. And he's the creator both in the sense of the nation, which he's established in the promised land, but also in the grander scheme of things, the one who has created all things. And his promise is that he will bring his people back from their captivity. If we can go on a little bit. I've lost it. Which verse is it? Sorry. Oh no, it's still in verse 14. <laughs> My notes keep jogging about a bit. He's the one who's promised to bring them back from their captivity. And I love that little phrase midway through 14, for your sake. Yahweh loves to bless his people, both then and now. Don't forget it. And he is your king, the king of kings whom they and we worship on and adore. So we go on to verses 16 and 17. And throughout this second part of Isaiah, there are passages and promises which look back to the Lord's dealing with his people in the book of Exodus. We see this here in verses 16 and 17, where the Lord reminds the people of the time when he brought the people out of slavery in Egypt, making a path through the sea and totally destroying the enemy. Funnily enough, I just read that this afternoon. I didn't read it with this evening in mind, but I picked up the, um, the translation of Eugene Peterson just to read a bit, and I read the chapter about that salvation through the Red Sea. We might think it's a bit harsh when we read that he destroyed the Egyptian army totally extinguished, snuffed out like a, like a wick. But I like to think that there's a parallel there to the work of Jesus on the cross, as Mike mentioned last week. As I've already mentioned, we're slaves to sin. We need redeeming. Jesus is our redeemer. And his victory is total. The power of the enemy has been destroyed forever. Hold on to that. The power of the enemy has been destroyed forever. And then, down in verse 18, something odd. Because he's just said, this is what the Lord says, who brought you this, who drew this. And then he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Despite all this that I've just reminded you of, Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. You know, I wonder if Paul was thinking of this bit of Isaiah when he was writing to the Christians in Philippi. In chapter 3 of that book, he presents his credentials to them, both as a Jew and as a Christian. And then he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. 
Of course the past is important, but its real importance is in the way on which we build on it. The Lord, as we will see in a moment, is always ready to do a new thing with us and for us. Yes, the past is important, but the present and the future are perhaps even more. You know, last Saturday, and this is a little sort of aside, but it fits in with this. Last Saturday, I went to a men's breakfast, and I went to hear a man called David Westlake, who is the UK CEO of the International Justice Mission. He was a really very interesting speaker. He'd been specifically asked by Peter, who organizes the breakfasts, he was being specifically asked to talk to us about his journey of faith from the beginning. So he began with how he first came to hear about the Lord. And it was wonderful. But, and what was even more inspiring, was to hear about what he is doing now. The IMJ has over 1,000 staff worldwide, most of them working undercover, and they are bringing men, women, and children out of slavery, out of the trafficking that they endure. And to date, and they're quite a small organization in a way, and there are many others, thankfully, but to date, IMJ have rescued over 50,000 men, women, and children out of slavery and out of the trafficking. And they've helped with the arrest of more than 3,500 suspected slave dealers and criminals. It's a drop in the ocean. There are millions and millions of people in our world in slavery. But isn't it great that somebody is doing something? And as he said, one person saved is worth it all. They also provide training and support to police, judges, and others in authority in order to slow down and stop this awful blight on the lives of so many unfortunate people. And in today's sad world, what an amazing, necessary work that is. Okay. Forget the past, the Lord says. See, I'm doing a new thing. And that new thing was quite an interesting one because he raised up a benevolent king named Cyrus who would eventually let the people return to their promised land. And that verse 19 is lovely. One commentator I read, and it wasn't Alec Mateer, he, he obviously loved these verses as well, which speak of the new thing that Yahweh is doing for his people. And he writes this, the poetic play in this passage is delightful as well as theologically inspiring. The old way, verse 16, was a dry path through the sea. The new way is a wet way in the desert. So ecologically refreshing that even the animals rejoice as well. I thought it was lovely. The old way, a dry path through the sea. The new way, streams, living streams 
in the desert. I loved that when I read it, and I think there could be a blessing for us here. So let's look at verse 21. The Lord speaks of his people, the chosen ones, who are going to proclaim his praise. And that's us. We sang that earlier. That's us. But he's speaking here about them, the people I formed for myself, the nation, my chosen people, that they may proclaim my praise. And who are they going to proclaim that praise to, if not to us? Jesus, and in a sense, the Jewish nation as a whole, are to be a light to the nations, revealing the saving love of Yahweh, the Redeemer King. There is then, in verses 22 to 24, an admonition of the way in which the Israel had fallen. The people haven't called on him in their times of need. They've not honored him. They've not fulfilled their duties of serving service and sacrifice, despite the Lord not laying any burden on them. Instead, verse 23, 24, instead, they have burdened the Lord. They've burdened him with their sins and wearied him with their offenses. As so often in the past and indeed so often in the future, the people forget the ways of the Lord and turn back to their old ways. The same is true of us, as Mike reminded us last week, which is why it's important that we take time, not just when we gather together in church, but in the quiet of our homes, to acknowledge our failures, and to confess our need of forgiveness. We should do that all of the time, of course. But Lent is a wonderful time, an opportunity to pause and reflect on the Lord's goodness and upon our need of his forgiveness. And we have our Lent meditations starting tomorrow evening. The great thing is, and it truly is a great thing, that Yahweh is far more ready to forgive than we are ready to acknowledge our need of his forgiveness. So we close this short time together with verse 25. 